0: Hi, welcome back to Honor of Kings here on Kingdom in Context. This week, guys, we're still in the Apocalypse of Abraham. We're going to be looking at chapters 15 through 21. These are some really fascinating chapters because within it, Abraham and the angel that's visiting him, the angel actually shows him some unique things, multiple layers of the firmament. He teaches him a song. Is this the song that the 144,000 are singing in Revelation? And we also see Abraham gets to see what Jesus spoke about in John chapter eight, where it says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. It's a fascinating episode. We think it's going to bring a lot of clarity to some of these ideas that people have questioned for so many years. Stick with us till the end. Hi, welcome back this week to Honor of Kings, this is episode 17. We're still in the Apocalypse of Abraham. We thank you for joining us. I'm Sean Griffin, and I'm accompanied with my awesome co-host. Ken Heidelberg is the name. Keeping things in context is our game, isn't it, Sean? It is, Ken. We always try to keep it in context of the kingdom of God. And that's actually a unique part of this particular episode that we're doing, uh, because this apocryphal book that we're looking into is the Apocalypse of Abraham. And one of our motivating reasons to look into this book was not only John chapter eight, where Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced, but also as we were studying a couple of weeks ago in the apocalypse of Baruch, it mentioned how Abraham was shown visions amongst the portions of the victims. And of course, that that term portions of the victims is referring to the Genesis 15 moment where he was and he did a, a altar sacrifice and he slayed open the victims, you know, in two halves. And, um, and then the father brought the fire, as we explained in those episodes. So he's actually shown a vision of heaven and the promise, the kingdom, as uh, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, which is what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus in the future is in his reign as king over Zion, the kingdom of God, Abraham actually got a glimpse of this. And in this episode, we're actually going to get to see that moment during Genesis 15, which is being fleshed out fully in the apocalypse of Abraham, We get to see that moment with Abraham. I'm excited about it.
1: I sure am too, buddy. And, um, you know, for you viewers out there, the reason why we're actually looking at this book is, you know, it stems out of second Baruch or the apocalypse of Baruch chapter four, where we see Yahweh essentially telling Baruch that the city that he is witnessing on the earth plane at that moment in time that was getting destroyed is not the one that was revealed with him where he is in the heavens. And he goes on saying that Adam was was in paradise and that Abraham was shown, as Sean had reiterated, he was shown paradise um, during this Genesis 15 moment and Jubilees 14 moment. And that Noah, or sorry, Moses saw it too on Mount Sinai. So that's kind of why we're here. We want to see, you know, where Abraham was able to see this paradise. And, you know, the words that Jesus said in John chapter eight, how he had, rejoice to see his day, you know, how it all, it's all in this book, which is super fascinating. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah, even last week as we dived into these uh, um, the, these first few chapters here that we looked at, I, th- I think it was uh, chapters 8 through 14 of the Apocalypse of Abraham, we got to see um, some fascinating stuff because this, this angel that's speaking with him, I guess his name is Joel or Joel, uh, it's kind of a unique name. Um, he claims responsibility for some fascinating things in scripture. One of which is to be the restrainer of Leviathan. And Ken, as you know, we, we've talked about it in other segments, even on another broadcast on parable, of the vineyard, where we do a weekly show, the road to rescue. We did an entire episode one night on Leviathan, who he is in scripture, why he was created and what his purpose is at the coming of the return of the Messiah. So there's fascinating implications for this, uh, for this visitation moment here with Abraham,
1: yeah, absolutely, man. I know when I studied this book and I saw that I call him Yahweh. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but Yahweh reveals to Abraham that he's the restrainer of the Leviathan, as well as a couple other things, and um, it's it just you know opened my eyes, and I was just like, wow, this is interesting because as you had said, we have done an episode on Leviathan, what you need to know about Leviathan, and how Leviathan and Behemoth have an eschatological Day of the Lord um, manifestation. And so this angel, we believe, has to do with letting them out, which is fascinating.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's... um, I mean, so this guy, even though we haven't really seen this guy before, um, we do know that there there were angelic visitations happening. This is what I love about the Book of Jubilees as we've already studied previously, right? Whereas... Moments in Genesis where it just says, and God appeared to him, or the word of the Lord came to him and said, Well, this is always happening through agency. It's through the concept of angels, his ministers, his, you know, that actually come and present his message for the Father. This is the standard operating procedure for the Father. So sometimes though, you know, Ken, I've seen believers, you know, good hearted and well-intended believers, but they get a little bit mixed up in understanding how the father has established this kind of mode of communication. And they that when they see those those uh, statements in Genesis and they'll say, Oh, look, it says, you know, the Lord showed up or Jacob wrestled with the Lord or whatever, you know? And you're like, well, well, that's, you know, (laughs) Jesus said the father is, you know, the almighty, the father calls himself the almighty. Jesus said the father is in heaven that no one's seen him or heard him anytime that he's in an unapproachable light as Paul explains in first Timothy six. And then you it says, as we've discussed in many other episodes that Yeshua himself preexisted with the father before creation, but he was concealed and not revealed to people until the, you know, the moment of his incarnation, right? Until a body was made for him, Um, because he had a purpose from before creation to be the Messiah. So all these other interactions in the Old Testament that we're looking at, these are just angels that are showing up with the message. Yeah, and they show up in the appearance of a man, and they speak with the person as if they're God, because that's that's the whole point of agency. Like, that's how that works, you know?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, Sean. And besides the fact that angels and studying angels are just it's just so fun. I think it's a very important subject for believers to get into because um as you just said it's it, we start building theories and create eisegetical moments in scripture where we shouldn't. And interestingly enough, a lot of the characteristics and um just more information in general about angels is found in a lot of these extra biblical books that were removed. So if we just look at these, even just for the simple purpose of studying out what these things have to say about angels, it starts to open up your eyes a little bit more about what we read in the canonized 66 and how they, you know, interact with mankind, as you said, the father's agents, divine agents. So yeah, fascinating stuff.
0: It's also caused me to realize that because most believers do not have a grasp on this idea so much so that, you know, not only do they come up with wild, wild theories about you know, thinking that the father is just showing up or even the son. And sometimes they'll even, they even come to the conclusion of thinking, well, we know the father is not the one that's showing up. So who is, it says the Lord's showing up. So therefore they start renaming Yeshua as Yahweh. And they say, well, it must be him showing up because it says Yahweh showed up to him. Well, that's, (laughs) if you send an angel and he's coming with your message and your authority, and you're supposed to respect him as if he's Yahweh, right? Then, yeah, it's you showing up. The, the the king sends message by his servants, you know. So the servants rarely tell their names because they're showing up in the name of the king. So their their authority and their name really doesn't matter. It's all about the the one that they're coming from and, and the authority of. So it's actually caused me to think. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make a morning cup of context about this. Not not just about because uh, I've already made the one about agency. It's called No One's Heard the Father. And that's a great one to check out, um, just so you can test it. I put all scriptures in there, but what Kim, what I'm specifically meaning is, there's a lot of mis- uh, mis- misunderstanding, I should say, amongst believers about what spiritual beings are, about what angels actually are. They think that they're non-material, they're non-corporeal, that they're wispy, that they're not, they're not tangible. Yet we see the, you know, especially when we're digging the Book of Enoch, right? We see that there's above us in the firmaments above. There's land, there's trees, there's rivers, there's water. These things have a body that eat food, right? So we think of the manna that fell down in the days of uh, the children of Israel being in the wilderness. They ate the manna from heaven, which is called the angel's food. Yet at the same time, it's it's not just dew that that condensed itself, right? That's like right. this was literal food. So this is meaning the, not only do angels eat, but they have actual food. So the, the whole point is you, you can grab and touch the food just like Jacob could grab and touch the angel's body. So just because they're called a spirit body doesn't mean that they're not something that tangible that you can grab and touch. It just means it's like if you were to call it a, um, you know, um, a man's body. Right. And then an animal's body and then an angel's body. So it's like I'm I'm created higher than an animal. OK, so even though an animal is um, is able to be grabbed and touched, but me, I'm able to be grabbed and touched. So is the father. Or shows so yeah he's a spirit being so are the angels so is the sun so are all the things in the heavenly realm they're just made of a more in my opinion a more complex physics because they're not made of soil and and the breath of life they're made of the spirit and water and so they're kind of a more complex physics if you that gives them more ability if you will like Jesus exemplified because remember he was made of that new material of that new creation type body of the spirit body and he ate in front of the disciples talked to them you know touched them that kind of thing right. Offered himself to be touched to Thomas, right? right, So it's not like he's just, you know, they didn't just, their hands didn't just flow right through him. He's, he's literally there. It's, it's a touchable entity, just like these angels are.
1: Yeah. It's super, super fascinating. Once you really start to delve into the scriptures and find out kind of what, you know, the father has revealed to us in in regards to that. But I, I think you should make that video, Sean, make a more cup of context video on the angels. And I also am doing that guys on my channel, King, Right up here, hanging on his words. I almost like Kingdom in Context, Sean. I'm so connected to you, brother. Hanging on his words. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a multiple-part series. And this going to be called uh, Entertaining Angels. And I'm going to hopefully put things to rest. Um, I'm going to hopefully, you know, <laughs> do my due diligence with this discussion. And I know that there's been brothers and sisters that have reached out to me and said, please make something about angels and, and you know, the angel of the Lord. And so I've been doing that. And it'll be released on my on my channel hopefully soon.
0: Awesome brother. Yeah. If you guys haven't, if you're watching this and you haven't already subscribed to Ken's channel, it's called hanging on his words. I'll, uh, I'll put the, uh, the, the image here up on the screen for you. Um, he's got some wonderful videos that he's already put out. Very explanatory, very engaging, uh, very easy to keep viewing all the way to the end. So I think that they're uh, he's, he's very talented, very gifted at it. And as well, he's a scholar of the scriptures um, and it just exudes throughout the video. So if you haven't already seen hanging on his words, Go to his channel um, and just go ahead and subscribe to that. It's also on Kingdom and Context here on my channel. As far as one of the associated channels on the side there, you'll see on the main menu of Kingdom and Context. So you're welcome to click on that and subscribe. Thank you guys for joining us here. Um, We're in Chapter 15 of the Apocalypse of Abraham, and uh, I'm excited to get to this one, Ken, so let's do it.
1: Let's do it, brother. Do you want me to start reading or do you want to
0: read? Yeah, you want to read the first chapter. It'd be awesome. Absolutely.
1: All right, guys, we're in Chapter 15 here of the Apocalypse of Abraham. And it came to pass when the sun was setting and behold, a smoke like that of a furnace and the angels who had the divided portions of the sacrifice ascended from the top of the furnace of smoke. And the angel took me with his right hand and set me on the right wing of the pigeon. And he himself sat on the left wing of the turtle dove, both of which were as of neither slaughtered nor divided. And he carried me up to the edge of the fiery flames. And we ascended as if carried by many winds to the heaven that is fixed on the expanses. And I saw on the air to whose height we had ascended a strong light, which cannot be described and behold in this light, a fiery Gehenna was enkindled and a great crowd in the likeness of men. They all were changing in aspect and shape running and changing form and prostrating themselves and crying words. I did not know. Okay, so buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, right off the bat, I just, just in case the viewer didn't see last episode, so, in the last episode, as a quick summation, this concept of where the sacrifice has taken place that we just, that chapter 15 is starting out. Um, the, the Apocalypse of Abraham says that the angel led him to Mount Sinai, that uh, we know from um, other, you know, from Genesis that there's an actual altar and Jubilees as well. That's why I mentioned Jubilees earlier, right? Because it tells us there's an altar built there and that angels are with him. Every time we see these sacrifices happening, almost every time, there seems to be an angel there. And here, apparently, there's three angels there. But Joel is the main one that's talking to him. And so they're at Sinai. There's an altar built. He hands some of the portions of uh, these divided halves to these two angels on either side of him. But that doesn't mean that they're not putting them on the altar for the fire to burn them. That's the whole point of the fire being there is it actually is a burnt offering. So this is, Ken, where I would suggest for the viewer to remember God does things according to his own instructions. God's own instructions tells us how he does sacrifices with an altar. So if it's not in the temple or the tabernacle, it's going to be an altar made of unhewn stone, right? And it's it's raised up about waist high, I would assume. But the point is, they would put this stuff on the altar and then burn it. It's basically like if you have a, a modern-day stone slab cooking surface, you know, one of those fancy stone slabs cooking surfaces. That's the same kind of concept. So he's made an altar of stone. He puts the portions on there. This is called a burnt offering sacrifice. And therefore, the father comes in, and he actually provides the fire and we talked about that last week about the precedent for that in scripture so that's what we're seeing right here and as this the smoke ascends and as the flame ascends this is where the angels start showing him the vision right
1: yeah absolutely and um sean the first verse even it's very reminiscent of um judges 13 verse 20. ah you beat me to it brother yeah, you, you you spotted that too, and it's an interesting little yeah. thing that we see only in the book of Judges, and you know obviously here in the Apocalypse of Abraham we see these angels ascending into the the you know above the flame of the smoke and up into the heavens, and that's the only time I've seen that is in the book of Judges thirteen verse twenty. Yeah, with angels, right? Yeah.
0: Do you do you want to read that passage real quick?
1: Yeah, totally. All right, Ben. So that's Judges thirteen twenty, and it says. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the
0: ground. So, can I've heard so many people try to say, well, see, look, that was Jesus. It was a pre-incarnate Jesus. Because Jesus is our sacrifice, and this guy jumps into the sacrifice. I used to even kind of lean that way and thinking that, because I was like, what other angels jumps into, you know, ascends in the flames of the sacrifice? That seems wild, you know? Um, But here we have another apocryphal book, that says the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those interesting characteristics that you know these hosts of heaven can apparently you know use. This is part of the creation model that they are able to you know <laughs> join as part of, right? Like somehow they are able to do that, and it's to me it's not t- totally wild of a concept. The Father created these ministering you know flames of fire as you know a way to. <laughs> <laughs> To do a bunch of wild things that apparently we don't we don't really understand unless we look, like I said, into other books that tell us exactly what they're capable of doing.
0: Yeah, and we have scripture throughout showing them, not just in Revelation, but other books, showing that these angels are performing duties like a priest because they are set apart. And that's one of the principal foundations of an actual priest in scripture is that he is Kodesh. He is set apart. To be able to do this meaning he's he's walked in the ways of the father therefore it's considered righteousness for him to the degree where he is able to actually minister as a mediator between a non-worthy party and the worthy party which is the father right so that's um that's kind of the concept of a priest and angels automatically feel uh fulfill this role by nature of their obedience and their position given to them at creation that's kind of the point like they're they're already part of that royal priesthood. Now, Jesus is going to be this you know, this man-king priesthood of the Melchizedek, right? And he's given authority over the angels. Um, and it's apparently at the resurrection, we'll even judge angels to some degree. I'm not sure exactly how that works out. But um, I just want people to re- be reminded of this concept of when we see angels interacting in a sacrifice, they have the authority to do that because it's a part of the inherent nature of them being set apart. And that's okay. the concept of priesthood. So in addition to that, you have this concept here where um, the angels are with Sam or excuse me, with Samson's parents or this angel is he shows up and remember what Samson's parents say at the end of that. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. We've seen God. We've seen the face of God or something like that. Right. right. Do you know when I was in Bible college, they taught us that this story was because the angel they asked remember Samson's parents asked the angel his name and he says, why do you want to know my name? It's too wonderful for you. Yeah. because he says that they have because they didn't understand the role of angels and they didn't understand the role of Yeshua before creation. And and this was, you know, 20 years ago for me, and I didn't understand. Well, not 20 years ago. This was uh, 19, 17 years ago for me. I didn't understand all the stuff I do now about the print Yeshua, right? I hadn't read that much of the book yet to, to find all those passages. And so the actual Bible college and the teachers of this class were teaching this idea that, You know, Because Isaiah 9-6 calls uh, the future reign of of Yeshua that he'll be called Wonderful and Counselor. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, see, look, this must be a pre-incarnate Yeshua. This angel just said his name was too wonderful. And Isaiah talks about the future reign of Yeshua as him being called Wonderful. You know what I mean? So just that kind of little associations, and that's what some people, because they have not found some of the passages yet in their studying that, that explain who Yeshua was before creation, what he's doing before he showed up incarnate in the flesh, they've taken these angels who already have their own role and they've tried to supersede Yeshua onto the role of these angels causes a lot of confusion.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's sad because I used to superimpose Yeshua onto those angels as well. And, um, it just created a lot of confusion as I started to test the scriptures and take my faith seriously. And, um, thankful we have these other books, you know, I'm going to keep saying it. We have these other books that tell us exactly what angels do and it's super fascinating.
0: So here we are, you know, what, 10, 15 minutes into the broadcast. I, I normally try to say it earlier, but I, I forgot because I'm, I'm excited to get to this stuff. But guys, just in case you, under, you haven't seen us before here in Honor of Kings, the whole point of this show is that we're looking at the apocryphal books. These are books that used to be in the canon um, and that they've been taken out for some reason over time. So we're looking at these to line them up line by line with the American canon of 66 to see if they hold up to scrutiny or not. And so this is kind of the whole point of the show. And then the word apocryphal just means hidden. So that's why in the show title and intro, it says testing the hidden books of the Bible. Okay.
1: Yeah. Sean, back when we did our episode on demons, um, when we were in the book of Enoch, I had, I had said that, you know, the Father isn't going to leave us without information regarding where these demonic entities came from, right? And right. I, I also believe that about the angels. I believe that there's no way that He's going to leave us in the dark as to what our, you know, our celestial brethren are doing and what they've been doing since creation and how they interact with us. So guys just test it. This is like Sean had said, this is the whole purpose of this honor of King show is to test these extra biblical books to the scriptures and see what they can do for us. If anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Good, good description there and a good recall um, by the way. And so here at the end of this chapter 15, so we've got the, the angels, right. That have received these, these two halves of the, um, of the sacrifice, and uh, it says they carried, in verse 4, it says they carried me up to the edge of the fiery flames, and we ascended as if by many winds to the heavens that is fixed on the expanses. Now, that word expanses, we actually see that spoken about in, in greater depth in later chapters are called firmaments. That's right. So as we have talked about in multiple episodes, the Bible describes a creation model, which is not anything like what we were told growing up, Okay. We were told growing up that we live on a ball in space, spinning around other balls in space, flying through the air, flying through the nonness of of matter in the vacuum of space. All that stuff is not in the scriptures. Okay, what the scriptures describe is a house with many different layers. And this house is a unique creation and the, the structures of the walls and the flooring of this house of the different layers is called a firmament. Many translations will call it an expanse, but the same the word means the same thing when you look them up in the lexicon. It's an actual solid structure. So Abraham is being shown in this vision multiple structures above us, which is what we already see in the canon of 66. I believe it's Deuteronomy 10:14. Um, uh, Psalm 148:4 talks about you know the waters above the, the first firmament, um, and then there's there's other places in there where it talks about the the multiple layers of the firmament, which it calls the Most High. The uh, being the most high on the highest heaven, right? And that word in Genesis 1-6 is a, another term for the firmament. That was the actual name given to the structure of the firmament, or sometimes called the expanse. That that concept was called the heaven. So that's why many times it's referred to when we see heaven in the scriptures, it refers to as a plural, because there are multiple heavens. And the most high is at the top layer, which is called the highest heaven. He's literally above you. He's higher than us. Okay. So, yeah, these, yeah, we these, can take
1: those literal. That's, that's yeah,
0: Ken, trying to get people to understand that these directional words in the scripture are there for a reason is one of the hardest things in our modern society to do. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Sean, I got to say that's a great way to create imagery in the mind of you know those listening about the enclosed earth system that we live in as being a, a giant house. You're right. It's like a giant house. We're on the ground level, my in my opinion, there's That's seven right. floors above and there's even a lower level below and so it's just, it's interesting when you when you put it that way it's it's easy for me to connect scriptures to that imagery
0: yeah yeah it's god just made a big house for everything you know yeah so, so um
1: sean in um before we move on to the next chapter here um unless you had something else you wanted to talk about before that um i was just going to mention that in verses six and seven it says that Abraham had seen a great crowd in the likeness of men and they were all changing in aspect and shape running and changing form. So as we go further in this book, we're going to see that Abraham is seeing these men on the very top, the where the most high is on the seventh firmament. And, um, it's an interesting quality that they have. They, they are said to be like the likeness of men. And we see that all throughout the scriptures consistently, Angels showing up, and they're, they're, they're not even called angels half the time. They're just men, men appeared, right? That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's not odd for these angels to be in the appearance and likeness exactly of men.
0: That's right. And in Jubilees, it actually says that we appear, that angels talking talk to Moses in Jubilees, telling that we appear in the likeness of men. Yeah. You know, and that's where the word angel itself just means messenger sometimes we forget that. We think it's it's a, it's a word for a, a race or a species itself. You know what I mean? But it just means messenger. That's why we get visions in Ezekiel and Revelation talks about the entities, the the, uh, the things that are above the firmament the, and around the father. They're sometimes not in the appearance of men, are they? They're, they're like only... uh, hybrid type creatures.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that that Hebrew <laughs> word, guys, is just malach. And that means, as Sean said, messenger. And the um, translators have just Try to differentiate between normal human messengers and divine messengers by calling them angels of
0: the Lord. So, and, and what I, you actually, you know, we're looking at the same verse as I was in chapter 15 here, because in six and seven, at the end of seven, it says, uh, they, meaning the, the men that he saw, you know, the great crowd that he's witnessing above this firmament above the heaven, said that they were all changing aspect and shape, running and changing form and prostrating themselves. Well, we read about that back in Enoch 19 in one of our episodes, didn't we? How the angels have the ability to assume many different forms.
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's also in 2nd Book Ber- chapter 50, I believe, or talks about.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's you remember right. that? Uh, so, yeah, that's um, just something that I hope the viewer, because sometimes some of this information you and I might take for granted because we've already studied it thoroughly and in-depth. And I'm just trying to connect each, each viewer, just in case it's their first time to see this show, Um, obviously I I don't have the time in each show to summarize every previous show we've done, but if I can, if I can remember some of the highlights so that people aren't confused, I'm trying to help connect them. And so, yeah, we, you know, second group 50, Enoch chapter 19, I believe it was. Um, and, um, I'll put those, those verses up here on the screen where it just talks about how angels can assume different forms. And what's unique about this, in my opinion, Ken is because at the resurrection, Jesus promises that we'll be made like the angels. Yeah. And then we see cool. Jesus in his resurrected body being able to kind of disguise his appearance in a se- seemingly, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So in some some regard, he was able to not be noticed while he's actually talking face-to-face with people. and But then he allowed them to see him, as it says in Luke 24, whatever <laughs> that right. means, however that works. Yeah. Um, and then they recognized him, and then he just disappears, and he moves like the wind. as He As he explained, a resurrection body would move in John chapter yeah. 3, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's verse 8. Yeah. So,
1: Sean, in verse 6 here, where it says, And behold, um, in this light, a fiery Gehenna, or a flame, was enkindled in a great crowd. The same crowd that we do. Yeah. um That's also mentioned, I can't remember where exactly, but where there's flaming fire all around the throne. We see that in Enoch as well, just the very first vision that he has where he's brought up above the firmament. That's you right, chapter fiery 15. Flame. Yeah, so these angels can dwell in fire, which is... We see in um, Exodus 3. in Exodus three in the book of Daniel where we got the three Shadrach Meshach and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace and you have an angel of the Lord appear and you know they're able to obviously dwell in fire because they dwell in fire where they're where they're from above the seventh firmament. So
0: yeah, it's it, it's a unique. What um, you know what it reminds me of is uh, a, a, a news report I saw about a guy. He's a radio technician. And this was, I saw this back in like 2010, um, maybe hard to, maybe difficult to find it on YouTube. Now, if you search for it, I'm not sure exactly what you search for, but, um, it's a radio technician that, um, his wife came down with cancer and he was trying to figure out a way to use specialized frequency to target her cancer cells and wipe out the cancer. And so that it could, because that, he was a radio engineer, right. Um, and that was kind of his, his thing. But while he's trying to make this machine, and he's imagine two machines facing each other, Ken, and in between them is all the actual uh, unseen radio waves that are happening. that he's trying to find the right frequency that would that would match the frequency of the cancer cell and wipe it out. Really brilliant theory, right? Brilliant idea that he was trying to test. Somewhere along his experimental moments, he gets some salt water because he lives uh, near the ocean. I think he lived in California, San Francisco. So he actually puts salt water in between these two things, pushing these frequencies at each other and it ignites the salt water and it Mm -hmm. burns 1800 degrees like a beautiful blue flame and it's it's super efficient flame that lasts for a long time so he literally caught water on fire with the right frequency so to me this is exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about if we if the angel the spiritual body is made of water and spirit and you know i already theorized from other things that the the firmament waters above have a sense of salination to them and that's a but that's a different different concept. But this whole concept here is that that here is water with fire coming off the top of it. Okay, and they're existing at the same time, and there's no ex- accelerant. There's no petrol. There's no you know butane. There's no accelerant that's caught this liquid on fire other than just frequency. So to me, it's like man, you, this is what if if the father is exists you know, in perfect frequency that these guys, or maybe these guys have the ability to to manipulate the frequency coming off of them to the point where they could just light up if they wanted to, you know what I mean? I'm just, obviously there's some, Mm. there's some theory there. There's some speculation, but the point is the physics have been uh, demonstrated in our own reality to be um, plausible.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think that's amazing, you know, it's crazy. It's the more you look into that stuff, the more it just it just proves that, you know, what's above us is just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so fun to, to learn about it.
0: Yeah, man. I'll I'll read sixteen unless you had anything else you want to say in fifteen.
1: Well, I was just going to actually throw in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul's talking about a man in Christ. Um, He says in verse 3, and I don't know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, do not know God knows. And then verse 4 says, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. That always, that last part always kind of threw me off, you know, where he heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. But I think we're going to, you know, we're going to run into some context here in this book. And also probably or possibly in verse seven here where it says um, these angels that were changing in aspect and shape running and changing form, prostrating themselves and crying words. I did not know. Like he was just, Abraham wasn't able to understand what what he was hearing. Right. Because I don't, in my opinion, he was hearing voices that were like rushing waters, which is, this goes along with the physics of what we become at the resurrection and what angels already are. Right. And I think about like how, You know, as a child, when I was in the pool and I had my friends, we'd go into the water and we'd try to like talk to each other, right? We'd like scream really loud in the water. You could, you know, vaguely maybe make out a word or something. But in my opinion, this is what's going on here is every time we see this in the scriptures, this sound of rushing waters, it's because they're made, their spirit beings are made of water and spirit. And it's, I don't know if there's just like a weird kind of like watery barrier as a filter for their larynx or something like that, (laughs) but only spirit beings can really understand that, which is why spirits had to be brought up to heaven. This is why Abraham in the spirit had to be brought up. And, and you know, John and everyone else that went above the firmament of heaven had to be brought up in the spirit so they could somehow understand what the heck's going on there and how they can, you know, listen to the words that were being spoken.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's it's great. It's a great point, even though we um, the the voice of many waters we are actually going to read here. What chapter is that? 17?
1: Oh, yeah, we're coming up to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but that's that's a great a great catch. Um, we'll get to that because there's some scriptural parallels to that. So this yeah. isn't a new concept either. But you're exactly right, brother. Great, great point. That's a great point.
1: Or right, we can finally move on. Sorry, Sean.
0: It's okay, man. Yeah, I just, uh, there's <laughs> as you know, we're always having to hurry ourselves along because there's so much to dig out of these chapters. So yeah. yeah, chapter 16, real quick. And I said to the angel, "Why is it you now brought me here? For now, I can no longer see." because I am weakened and my spirit is departing from me. And he said to me, remain with me. Do not fear. He whom you will see coming directly towards us in a great sound of sanctification is the eternal one who has loved you. You will not look at him himself, but let your spirit not weaken for I am with you, strengthening you. So there it is again, right? What does first Timothy six tell us that the father dwells in unapproachable light, What did we see in Enoch 15, right? That this, the father sitting on His throne and no one could see him. The light was too bright and that's why he's the angels reminding him. He's coming towards you, but you're not going to be able to see him, <laughs> but uh, yeah. just letting you know when you get weak, I'll strengthen you so you can stay near him as close as possible, but you yeah. won't actually be able to see him.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, man, because it totally, totally sets Yeshua apart from all the rest. I mean, he's the, he's the only one that could claim that he was in the, he's in the bosom of the father or was before he was incarnate. Right. And, um, we know that angels, some angels can't even get that close. Yeah. So, you know, he's, <laughs> we love him and we just, we don't want to feel like we're denigrating him in any way, guys. He's, he's extremely powerful. He's just below the father. That's it.
0: Yeah. He's the son of God. He's not the father himself, you know, and this is a, a I was speaking with a friend about this. Cause there's, you know, there's amongst some believers, there's a lot of debate. On this idea because of some of the component pieces we already talked about earlier, right? About the understanding of what a spirit being is, understanding all the scriptures that do talk about where Yeshua was before he was born in a body and what was going on. And many believers have not yet found those passages and they're not familiar with that understanding. So I was talking with a, you know another brother in Christ about this concept recently, and, I, and he was baffled about the idea of, well, how are people taking the son and just completely making him non-existent by saying the father came in the flesh and not the son come in the flesh? You know, and I said, I said, you know, after two years of of talking about this topic, the best that I can come up with as far as a quick, short analogy is to say, um, if I were to come up to you and say, you know, hey, I'm God. And do you believe me? And you were to say, yeah, I believe you. I said, awesome. Great. Would you like to worship me? And then you were like, well, sure, I'd like to worship you. And I say, awesome. Great. Okay. So here's the deal. This is my son. You can't actually look at me. You can't worship me, but I want to give you a way that you can interact with me. So this is my son. He's going to behave just like me. He's going to say everything I tell him to say. He's going to do everything I tell him to do. He's going to actually be the express image of me that you can't see. He's going to represent me in every single way possible, but he's my son. He's not me. He's just really obedient to me, right? So you can worship him because he has my authority. And he has my love, my, my behavior, my likeness, right? As Hebrews 1, chapter one through verses 1 through 3 tell us. But he's not me. He's my son. I'm going to send him to you to interact with you and to be, to be God in, in my stead, right? Uh, because we're both Elohim. And then you say, no, I don't want that. I just want to worship you. So that's, that's exactly what we see when people don't understand what the scriptures define as our Savior before he became in the flesh. And they yeah. just they, they haven't either found those passages or they're ignoring them and they just want to say, Well, the father came in the flesh. And you're like, No, no, it's clearly that God sent his only begotten son. God didn't send himself, he sent his only begotten son. So, you know, that's just uh hoping hoping to bring some edification for folks on that.
1: Yeah, and for more information on that, John and I just did an episode with Adam Fink over at Parable of the Vineyard, I think it was last Friday, and we go over this exact discussion. So if you guys want more you know details regarding this this topic find that episode on uh our it's
0: on his his yeah parable yeah. of the vineyard it was his friday night episode yeah. which honestly i can't remember the the name of it at this point but i'll i'll find the thumbnail and i'll uh i'll try to flash it up on the screen here for us yeah all right In case people to check it out we spend like two hours fleshing that two and a half hours fleshing that concept out don't we yeah, yeah. So there's i mean if, if there's a lot of scriptures to test and that's where, Ken, this is where, you know, sometimes you see in the comments, people want to talk to you about something before they've actually taken the time to read the scriptures about it. Yeah. So if, if that's what's going on in the comment, do not be, um, do not be offended. Uh, we always want you to comment. We always want to talk and interact with people as much as we're able to. Ken and I, you know, we, we have, you know, we're not doing this full time. So sometimes we don't have the, the time to interact with every single comment. But I will tell you right off the bat, comments that we do not respond to are ones where we've already answered your question in the show. And we can tell by your comment you haven't even watched the show yet. And you're just knee jerking because it's five minutes in and you said something. We said something you didn't like. And now you're trying to comment and and argue with us about it in the comment section when we've already explained ourselves for like an hour after that in the show. You just haven't finished watching the show. So lovingly, just, just take your time. Test all things, guys. Test it according to the scriptures. If, you, if there's something that we say that you don't initially understand or agree with, that's why you have the book in your hand that you can actually research what we're saying. You know what I'm saying? This is our job as this is our this is our responsibility as believers is to test our faith and our words so that we build our faith. And it's built upon sound doctrine and knowledge of the father as his spirit will enable you to understand it, not just upon our words. Okay. Not, because we're not we're not telling you how to think we're showing you what the scriptures say and we expect you to test it with us so yeah, all right i'm done right with it. my slow box rant okay
1: all right sean i'll just jump into chapter 17 here cool and while he was still speaking behold the fire coming toward us round about and a voice was in the fire like a voice of many waters like voice of the sea in its uproar and the angel knelt down with me and worshiped and I wanted to fall face down on the earth and the place of highness on which we were standing now stopped on high, now rolled down low. And he said, only worship Abraham and recite the song which I taught you. Since there was no ground in which I could fall prostrate, I only bowed down and I recited the song which he had taught me. And he said, recite without ceasing. And I recited and he himself recited the song, eternal one, mighty one, holy L, God-autocrat, self-originate, incorruptible, immaculate, unbegotten, spotless, immortal, self-perfected, self-devised, without mother, without father, ungenerated, exalted, fiery, just, lover of men, benevolent, compassionate, bountiful, jealous over me, patient one, most merciful, Eli, eternal, mighty one, holy Sabaoth. Most glorious L Ya L, you are he my soul has loved, my protector, eternal, fiery, shining, light giving, thundered voiced, lightning visioned, many eyed, receiving the petitions of those who honor you and turning away from the petitions of those who restrain you by the restraint of their provocations, redeemer of those who dwell in the midst of the wicked ones, of those who are dispersed among the just of the world in the corruptible age showing forth the age of the just you make the light shine before the morning light upon your creation from your face to spend the day on the earth and in your heavenly dwelling place there is an inexhaustible light of invincible dawning from the light of your face accept my prayer and delight in it and accept also the sacrifice which you yourself made to you yourself through me as i search for you receive me favorably teach me show me And make known to your servant what you have promised me. (laughs) That's an interesting song, Sean. I wouldn't know how to make a melody to that one.
0: I know. You and I both write music. We both play the guitar. I think you play more than just one instrument anyway. But yeah, I looked at this song in the past, and I have no idea how I'd make that into a song. You Um, know,
1: I'm determined to do so, though. I must say (laughs) I'm going to somehow splice these words together and form something.
0: Well, you'll definitely learn the the melody of it at the, at the resurrection, but right. or, or possibly, that's what we're theorizing here. Um, a couple things I wanted to point out. Uh, one's going to be in chapter verse uh, 13, and another one's also at the very beginning. Now, we already mentioned the concept of how um, the, you know, the fire coming toward and round about us, because remember he said, the here comes the eternal one, he's coming towards you. You're not going to be able to see him himself, but I'll strengthen you when you get weak. Yeah. And then now, this is where we see the voice was in the fire, like the voice of, of many waters. Um, we actually see this already. I mean, this is something we see in the canon of sixty-six, Revelation 14, 2. You know, it, it also yeah. talks about that. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps. That's that's something, and this of course leads into the new song, which comes about from hundred and forty-four, thousand. That's the the next verse. But also in Ezekiel 43, um, Verse two it says, "I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory." So, right there, we have a, a strong connection to the canon as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: but there's something in this chapter I wanted to point out to you that I many of the um, the viewers may have caught that we we want to just this is a great example. Okay, this is a, a wonderful example of why we keep things in context. Why we don't just take one verse and make doctrine out of it. We have to look at what's being said, who's the characters that's interacting, what was said beforehand, how does that make sense with what we're looking at now? So, what did we just see in chapter 16 at the very end of it? That this angel who's speaking to Abraham tells him, Here comes the eternal one. He's going to, you can't see him himself, but if you, when you get weak, I'm going to be here to strengthen you. So, we, you can stand here as long as you can. Now, the next thing we're reading in 17 is apparently the voice of the eternal one or some voice coming forth to to uh abraham right
1: verse 17
0: of chapter 17 no no um I'm, I'm talking about the beginning of chapter 17 linking it to chapter 16 yeah, and I'm explaining for the viewer this concept of how this is all in the same context. Oh yeah, and we're yeah. It's, gonna, it's gonna blend into what I'm getting to. I'm just 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 bear with me for a minute. And this idea that he's talking, he, we're having an interaction happening. We're having a flow of movement happening. So we got the angel standing with Abraham, and here he comes. Here comes the eternal one, right? Which we we would assume is Lord of Spirits, the Father. You can't see him himself, but he's gonna he's gonna come up to you. And while you're close to him, I'm gonna strengthen you so you can stay here as long as possible. But What then happens is what transpires is um, basically they're trying to reveal to or teach Abraham this song. And then, of course, it says in verse six, uh, worship Abraham and recite the song which I taught you since there was no ground to which I could fall prostrate. I only bowed down and I recited the song which you taught me. And he said, recite without ceasing. And I recited. He himself recited the song. And then we get the the lyrics to the song. But within the lyrics, Ken, is what I'm trying to point out here in verse uh, 13. It says, Eli, Eli, or Eli, Eternal Mighty One, Holy Sebeoth, Most Glorious Eol. Now, Ken, isn't this the name of the angel himself? E O L. This is the name. Okay. So, is it the? Is this song glorifying E O L? Negative. Okay. Right. So, who's the ones teaching the song? I mean, whomever this voice is, if it whether it's the angel teaching it to Abraham or it's the voice of the Eternal One that they just stepped close to that's teaching them this song to me, this is where the translation of, you know, this is where the translations matter. Okay. So that's why, you know, this uh, a pseudepigrapha.com that, that Ken and I are looking at, we have two translations of this passage and one translation that we read initially uses this verse here in verse 13. It says most glorious. And it says L four times. And then it says the name of the angel. But if we look in the other translation, it says L four times, but then it says Ja'el. That's right. Right? And, it's, and it differentiates the idea for the viewer to understand or for the reader to understand that this is not – what the angel's name himself is, is a praise word of God, right?
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this isn't the angel glorifying himself is what I'm trying to get at, Ken. So th- this actually tripped me up when I first read The Apocalypse of Abraham. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it was almost two years ago. You and I were talking about this online and I said, well, I think this might be a pre-incarnate Jesus, this angel Joel because of what's being spoken of. And it uses his name in the song. Right. I remember that. But, but that was my misconception. It took me some time to really study out this idea here and link it with the context of 16 to know that, that there's three entities here. There's Abraham, this angel and the eternal one who just showed up, which would be the father and Joel, is the name itself is actually a name that praises God, right? Or is a word or a term used to praise God. So just because this guy's name is recited within the song itself, doesn't mean that the song is praising the angel. It's just, it's just that compilation of sounds is used as a praise term for God and it's put in the thing. Oh, and by the way, that's where they, they actually named this angel that same term as well. Does that make any sense? Am I, am I explaining that right? I'm trying to, Make it easier for the viewers so they don't think that suddenly, you know, the eternal one is praising the angel. Yeah,
1: when I first read that book, to be honest with you. But I think you've explained it correctly. And I think that's um, how we should interpret this.
0: Yeah, I I just sometimes people get really tripped up because they take one line like this and they think, oh, my gosh, throw the whole book out. This says that God's praising an angel. No, it doesn't. The angel's name is a term for praise of God. And that's just happenstance to be thrown into this particular song, which to me could be the reason why this song is being revealed by this particular angel of the same name. Like he could have a link to that song because it matters to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and angels, the names of angels oftentimes reflect characteristics of the father, right? So when Jacob said that he saw the face of God or, or, you know, even Manoah and, in that whole circumstance where they think they saw the face of God, that, that name or the term for that is Fanuel, face of God. That's right. That's just happens to be the name of an angel as well. So, I mean, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. We read about Fanuel and Enoch a whole lot, right? We did, Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, just, just so, you know, I'm trying to think of a modern day, like, you know, just a, a cultural name that we might use that. Um, well, it's <laughs> okay. So let's just use, let's just be silly with it. Right. What did, uh, what did um Gwyneth Paltrow name her daughter? You know, she married the guy. wasn't Didn't she marry the guy from uh? Coldplay. Um, it? Say what? Isn't that the guy uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay? That's right. Yeah, and they named their daughter Apple, didn't they? Yeah. Apple. Okay. So if I were to see that girl, call her Apple. I don't think that they literally birthed an apple. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. I hope not. Even though in today's so, world, you never know.
0: So therefore. You know, I just just because we have a name that means something else doesn't mean that you know what I'm saying if so if I wrote a song singing about green and red apples, I wouldn't think that I was singing it to that their daughter. That's right. That's that's what I'm trying to say. I, it's a silly, spontaneous metaphor, but I just hopefully the the viewer is understanding at this point. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, for sure, brother. Um, I like just how the song starts off. It obviously the whole thing is glorifying the father, but he. He gives us a bunch of different descriptions that, in my opinion, don't line up with the Trinitarian perspective, you know? So we have the, um, you know, the eternal one, mighty one, um, self-originate, or if you're looking at the other translation that runs parallel to it, the beginningless one. And that is something that Yeshua never claims to be, correct? I mean, in Revelation 3.14, he says he's the beginning of God's creation. So that's right. Yeah, we're getting we're getting descriptions here, Sean, of the father that can only be for the father.
0: You're exactly right, um, and that's. Yeah, also, uh, Ken, you know, if we look into uh, uh, this, I think it's verse ten, around verse ten, where it talks about self-perfected, self-devised, without mother, without father, ungenerated. Well, this I love the fact that that uses that term specifically because we see that also in Hebrews chapter seven.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Comparing the Levitical priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood. And people have always traditionally gotten so tripped up on Hebrews chapter 7 to think that the Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Yeshua because it's describing his priesthood as not being based on genealogy, but being based on appointment. And that's where it's it's not saying that he didn't have a dad or a mom. It's just saying that that wasn't the requirement. It didn't come through mother or father like it did with the Levitical priesthood. You had to be a born of a Levite family, specifically of the Aaronic bloodline of Aaron and his descendants to be a high priest. And so that's what it, Hebrews 7 is contrasting between the Melchizedek, which is just something that the father appointed to that person. It didn't matter who his parents were. If this guy earned that position, he was appointed that position. And that's what we get um, with the Melchizedek priesthood. So I love it that it's using this same terminology with the great context of explaining the eternal one, the father that he's without father, he's without mother. Um, and that's just, it's a unique term that it's... Because I've, I've never seen that term used other than Hebrews 7.
1: Yeah, I haven't either, man. So I agree with you. I, I really do. Um, if we look at the other passage, Sean, where, where it's running along the same thing that you just mentioned, without father, without mother, unbegotten. I mean... Yeshua's begotten, right? Isn't that kind of one of his his titles? Is he's the begotten, only begotten Son of God? That's
0: exactly right, brother. He calls himself the only begotten Son of God. So in John three sixteen, Jesus is the one speaking, right? And he calls himself that he is the only begotten Son of God. That's right. So if he, if Jesus is the Word and the truth, right, and he can't speak a lie, Jesus has called himself begotten. The father is not begotten. He's beginningless; He's unbegotten. That's right. Yeah. So it doesn't take away glory of, of Yeshua at all. It just puts him in the place the father describes him. What, you know, what to me is, is more disrespectful is just to try to make Jesus into something the father didn't describe. To me, that's like blatantly ignoring the father's words. When the father and Jesus himself told you who he was, where he came from, and then his relationship of hierarchy to his father. But if we ignore all that and just try to make Jesus into something that's not described of him, how, how, aren't we doing more damage than, than, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I, I've never understood that thought process.
1: That's one of the arguments that I use is that, you know, we're trying to appreciate exactly who the son and the father are, you know, relative to each other. So it's, <laughs> we just want to know exactly what the son says about himself and what the father has said about the son. And. I mean, in this passage here, we're getting all these descriptions about the Father only, right? And none of these, I shouldn't say none of these, but several of these um, only correspond to the Father himself. And so we're just we're just trying to understand the relationship between the two guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely,
1: bro. Um, so we got many more descriptions, Sean. Verse 15, eternal, fiery, shining, light-giving, thunder-voiced, Lightning visioned, mini eyed. I mean, man, like there is there is just so much compacted into one chapter here describing the father. It's just it's unbelievable. Like if you if you were to try to like make it some sort of a visual of this, I don't know how that would be possible. Like it's just incredible to to think about what the father is like up there on the you know on the most high in the seventh firmament.
0: It, yeah, it's um the, to me, this is the most succinct description of the Father that I think we might get um, as far as just amplifying itself with more and more and more and more, you know? Yeah. I think it's pretty pretty wild. Um, isn't there a passage in Revelations that talks about the um, the one who sat on the throne with eyes all round about? Or is that, about, is that speaking more like of Yeshua? Oh, I think it's in Revelation 5 where it says that he had the seven eyes. Yeah, the lamb, said the lamb standing of slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, I we we got
1: the um, is it the cherubim that have all the eyes as well.
0: Yeah, and I'm not sure. Like in Ezekiel, you mean? Yeah. I think Ezekiel yeah. one talks about that. I'm not exactly sure how to artistically represent that. I'm not. I don't know exactly what that means. If that's just an idiomatic term referring to him being, you know, uh, all seen, so to speak, just all knowledgeable of what's going on around him. Yeah, but um, I don't know if, if that's a literal or an idiomatic term, and I've, I've personally haven't studied that particular term in Scripture to, to flesh it out. But
1: yeah, my understanding is that it's a literal um, description of this, these angels; they have eyes all around them. But you're right; I don't, I wouldn't even know how to artistically kind of put that forth.
0: Well, what's interesting here in verse 18, where it talks about um showing forth the age of the just you make the light shine before the morning light upon your creation from your face to spend the day on the earth. Um, it's kind of a, it seems like a unique little passage, right? But this, to me, it reminds me of in revelation two, where Yeshua says to, you know, those who overcome keep my deeds to the end to him. I'll give the morning star. I think it's revelation two verse 29 or 28. And, you know, that's to me that that could be what he's talking about if if this is the where that idiomatic phrase even came from about the morning star relating to the resurrection.
1: Hmm. Interesting parallel. Yeah.
0: Because it says before the morning light upon your creation from your face to spend the day on the earth. What day are we talking about? Is that the seventh thousandth day?
1: Yeah, that's one of the um the things that Yeshua mentions in Revelation when he's kind of um concluding all his his messages to the churches that's one of the things that i just didn't really fully understand is you know i will give to you the morning star i didn't know what that was i know he's referred to as the morning star but i'm not, I'm not i wasn't sure exactly what that means to us you know isn't
0: that awesome though if that's what this is talking about that would make you more sense if you referring referring to himself as the morning star since he was around before creation right yeah so that i mean that that could be it anyway he was he was um the light up on the dawn, you know, since all things are made through him, by him, for him. um, He could be, you know, he's obviously there intricately involved with the father of creation to be the conduit of all creation. I think that that could be something interesting there. Yeah.
1: So Sean, um, verse 20 here in verse 21, it's interesting how this is worded where it says, accept my prayer and delight in it and accept also the sacrifice which you yourself made to yourself through me as i searched for you oh do we have a um another moment here of agency
0: what do you uh what do you mean
1: oh well, it says you know that you yourself the sacrifice which you yourself made to yourself he's referring to the sacrifice that he had just made there on the mountain right and, that, and then they, they get brought up to where, right he yeah
0: yeah he's just talking about the agency the angels there, doing that doing his work and think what like
1: yeah he was literally there making it to himself, like no, this is no
0: well i to me my thought my first thought is remember it said that in previous last episode that uh Abraham turned around and looked behind him, and these animals for the prescribed sacrifices were following him, so the father drew those animals by his spirit by his power, you know, because Abraham didn't bring the animals with him, so he he made it possible. The father made that sacrifice to himself possible, not just through the angels but also for the for the right ingredients for the sacrifice, yeah. So Yeah, that's good. Hey, Ken, do you you want to pick up the next chapter here in 18? Absolutely, brother. All
1: right, chapter 18. And as I was still reciting the song, the mouth of the fire which was on the firmament was rising up on high. And I heard a voice like the roaring of the sea, and it did not cease from the plentitude of the fire. And as the fire rose up, soaring to the highest point, I saw under the fire a throne of fire, and the many eyed ones round about, reciting the song under the throne of fire four fiery living creatures singing and the appearance of each of them was the same each having four faces and this was the aspect of their faces of a lion of a man of an ox and of an eagle each one had four heads on its body so that the four living creatures had 16 faces and each one had six wings two on the shoulders two halfway down and two at the loins With the wings which were on their shoulders, they covered their faces. With the wings at their loins, they clothed their feet. And they would stretch the middle two wings out and fly erect. And when they finished singing, they would look at one another and threaten one another. And it came to pass when the angel who was with me saw that they were threatening each other, he left me and went running to them. And he turned the face of each living creature from the face which was opposite it, so that they could not see each other's faces threatening each other. And he taught them the song of peace, which the eternal one has in himself. And while I was still standing and watching, I saw behind the living creatures, a chariot with fiery wheels. Each wheel was full of eyes round about and above the wheels was the throne, which I had seen and it was covered with fire and the fire encircled it round about and an indescribable light surrounded the fiery crowd. And I heard the voice of their sanctification, like the voice of a single man. chapter 19. And a voice came to me out of the midst of the fire saying, Abraham, Abraham. And I said, here I am. And he said, look at the expanses which are under the firmament to which you have now been directed and see that no one, and that, sorry, see that on no single expanse is there any other but the one whom you have searched for or who has loved you. And while he was still speaking, behold, the expanses under me, the heavens opened and I saw on the seventh firmament upon which I stood a fire spread out and a light and dew and a multitude. Of angels and a host of the invisible glory, and up above the living creatures I had seen, I saw no one else there. And I looked from on high, where I was standing, downward to the sixth firmament, and I saw there a multitude of spiritual angels, incorporeal, carrying out the orders of the fire angels who were on the seventh firmament, as I was standing on its elevation. And lo, neither on this firmament was there in any shape any other host, but only the spiritual angels. And the host I saw on the seventh firmament commanded the sixth firmament, and it removed itself. I saw there on the fifth firmament, hosts of stars, and the orders they were commanded to carry out, and the elements of earth obeying them.
0: Okay, man. Wow. Um, Geez, we could do a whole show on these two chapters. I know um, it's true we're not to have the opportunity to do that. So we'll do our best to get through. Uh, I'm sure that you, you probably noticed as I did right off the bat, chapter 18 is just like, we're reading Ezekiel chapter one.
1: Yeah. We're getting pretty much the exact same type of scenario that Ezekiel was showing on that expanse as well.
0: Yeah. It's not verbatim, but it's, it's the exact descriptions of, you know, the, the thrones of fire, the wheels, the eyes round about, and these wheels are underneath the throne and it's, it's all in these living creatures with the, the three sets of wings. Um, yeah, it's the same concept. And and they have multiple faces. So yeah. it's just each like of them.
1: Ezekiel. Yeah, exactly. You got a lion, a man, an ox, and an eagle. Yeah. Making sixteen faces on one, apparently. Yeah. That's pretty
0: crazy. Now I'm gonna put up here on the screen just simply because uh for the sake of time, we're we're not gonna be have time to read all of Ezekiel chapter one, but essentially it's in verses four through fourteen. Is the exact descriptions of what we read here in the Apocalypse of Abraham, chapter eighteen, and it's uh, it's these creatures that are near the throne and all the the same descriptions and they seem to be doing the same things and and um, it's fascinating light and fires all around them just like in Ezekiel, it's I mean it's the exact same thing. So basically, it <laughs> suddenly, Ken, if this you know the Apocalypse of Abraham is putting Abraham on par with Ezekiel, yeah. As far as prophetic visions, you know, because so many people are are marveled at Ezekiel's visions, thinking that he was you know, privileged to see this amazing stuff that you don't really get until you get to Revelation. And then even then, it's not to the same description as Ezekiel gave. And so that's why so many people try to, you know, draw, you know, artistically draw out what Ezekiel saw because it seems so fantastical. But apparently Ezekiel is just, you know, being shown a copy of what Abraham already saw.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, Abraham, if you're going to show anybody anything, the father of the faith, right? If anyone get, just, should get a pass up to the firmaments, do you think it would be Abraham?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why Genesis, I think it's Genesis 20. It calls Abraham a prophet. So, that's right. you know, we don't get that. It's not really harped on very much that he was a prophet, but yeah, that he was a prophet. So yeah, Exactly. Sean, in verse awesome.
1: 8 here is pretty interesting, of uh, chapter 18, where it says that... Uh, And when they, you know, these creatures that we were just describing, when they finished singing, they would look at one another and threaten one another. Yeah. So we got these super, super zealous angelic entities that are zealous for Yahweh's glory, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then to the point where, I mean, Gile pretty much has to say, one second, Abraham, I'll be right back. I got to go do something.
0: (laughs) I got to go stop a fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, ding, ding, ding. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And if this guy is in charge of restraining Leviathan, then I guess he can handle these living creatures pretty easily. So, yeah, it's but pretty crazy, he doesn't eh? literally restrain them. Does he, he just goes up to them and he, he teaches them a song of peace, which I think is fascinating. Is this the same song we read about in chapter 17?
1: It could very well be Sean, but he also grabs, it looks like he grabs the chin of the face and kind of turns it the other way. So that yeah. they're not looking directly at each other, which is just so fascinating.
0: Yeah, it just reminds me of a parent dealing with toddlers. You just have to distract them long enough so they stop fighting with each other.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah, there's amazing stuff in 18, but 19 also, you know, we have get, I love 19, brother. <laughs> the the fundamentalist in me loves 19 because you get verse 4 where um, it mentions in the same passage, in the same sentence, in the same breath, it mentions the expanses under the heavens opened. I saw the seventh firmament. So you've got... The expanses under me, comma, the heavens, which is amplification of the word expanses. And I saw on the seventh firmament, and then you got more implication, but he's using a different word for the word expanse. So just in case people are wondering, is, is the word expanse really the same word as firmament? Boom. Is the word firmament just the same as the word heaven? Boom. All three are synonymous with each other. This is exactly what we have in Genesis 168. Yeah. So as a term, as a structure, and we're getting mechanical motions of these structures here. So for in you know, if I was trying to hide the creation model, I would definitely try to hide the apocalypse of Abraham. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, here we're seeing in the same verse that you just mentioned, he's on the seventh firmament, right. Looking down. And that's, that's where the most high is. So that's right. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. I, I'd love to just, obviously this wouldn't work but to be a fly on the wall of somewhere open that seventh firmament and see how these things open up. You know, what does that look like? How does that operate?
0: Yeah. Is it like the, the Texas, um, was it Dallas, Dallas Cowboys, Texas stadium, you know, the huge dome that opens up over their football field. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause that's the, a small version of probably what he's seeing here because he goes, he's on the seventh. He sees the sixth open up and then he sees down to the fifth and he yeah. sees the host of stars of heaven. And the elements of the earth obeying them and didn't we read about that in, in enoch right in one of our episodes we did on enoch where how the the course of the stars are connected to the earth itself that's right so we didn't really know exactly how that happens but here we have the exact same description about the elements of the earth obeying this order of the stars yeah i just can't remember what passed was that in enoch 20 uh or um, nine?
1: was it 19.
0: I think it was earlier in the middle. You know, it wasn't like in the 20s or 30s, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it was somewhere around
1: there. I remember what you're talking about, though. Yeah. You know what's cool, Sean, is... um, so sorry, were you... you... No, no, go ahead. What's cool here is that um, we have this concept of hierarchy, right? So he's seeing kind of the, the layers below, and we got the sixth firmament here. And you have these spiritual angels who are incorporeal carrying out the orders of the fiery angels who were on the seventh firmament above. So the same firmament that Abraham is on those fiery angels, there's angels that are below on the sixth firmament who carry out the orders of the ones that are on the same firmament he's at. So we have this kind of like downward flow of command, I guess you could say, right? So we have like a, a ranking system going on here, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. And this, to me, when I read this, because, um, it talks about how the spiritual angels are incorporeal. That means not to have a body when you're incorporeal. It means you don't have a body. And this is why he's talking about spiritual angels carrying out the orders of the fire angels. So just as we talked about in many episodes, these angels have the ability to assume many different forms. So whether right. they assume the form of a body or just are in, in their pure spirit, like form of power, you know, without a body, they're still the same entity or whether they're a flame of fire. Right. That's right. So they, so this is to me, like we're getting an example of that here. We have angels that are not taking on the form of a body at the moment, taking orders from angels who have apparently the form of fire at the moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So it's like mastery over the creation in its entirety is the physics of the angelic essence, if you will, which is what we're promised at the resurrection to be made like unto yeah, exactly. It's that yeah. type of, that type of physics, that type of body type, you know? So, yeah, it's just yeah. Um, it's um, wild.
1: It's definitely wild to think that these these higher ranked you know watcher angels um, that surround Yahweh's throne of glory dwell in fire and they are completely yeah. untouched, right? I mean, yeah. as I already mentioned earlier in this episode, we have yeah. one angel that goes right into the, the the fiery furnace that Nebuchadnezzar had thrown Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into, and it's, there's no issues. And I think it's Um, the prayer of azariah which is another interesting extra biblical book that we'll we'll get to one of these episodes very short we can cover it in one episode as well as in i think it's third maccabees or fourth maccabees one of the maccabean writings mentions that this angel of the lord that came in the midst of the fiery furnace came um with like a dewy water like a bubbly water thing to kind of like encapsulate the men into so (laughs) it's just crazy to think that these angels that possess such power can do that right i mean yeah it's fascinating
0: that is fascinating man it was a moist whistling
1: wind i think is how it was described it so if you can think of water and fire you have like a whistling kind of wind going on right and it's just it's crazy (laughs) yeah sean the um was it the ninth verse here we see that on the fifth firmament we have the host of the stars so what do you think about that? I mean, when we when we look at the Genesis account where it says that he placed the stars in the firmament of heaven, are we are we assuming that that's the one that's right above our heads or can we possibly look at the fifth firmament here? And as we know, the word heaven is shemayim, which is plural. So it doesn't have to necessarily mean it's just the firmament above our head, but it could be the fifth layer, right? As right. Abraham seems to be talking about here.
0: Yeah. The biggest distinction I, I've always made with the Genesis 1 account is that uh, verses 14 to 19 of Genesis 1 talking about the placement of the sun, moon, and stars. And so many people who have started learning about the biblical creation model and trying to understand it as the scriptures describe it, they keep trying to say, oh, well, look, it's a firmament. We acknowledge that. It's a solid structure. We acknowledge that. And it's domed. We acknowledge that. So therefore, Genesis 1, 14 through 18 says that he places sun, moon, and stars in the firmament. Therefore, it must be underneath the firmament above our heads, and I'm like, yeah. no, no. There's multiple layers to the firmament, as not only Genesis one, Jubilees two, Deuteronomy ten fourteen, some you know Psalm one forty eight. There's multiple layers, and all of the books of Abraham talks about. There's multiple layers to the firmament, um, and that's where. Uh, on these different layers or different concepts. Of course, the book of Enoch fleshes that idea out in many, many chapters as Enoch gets to see the land above us, basically, yeah. you know what I mean? And that, and the mountains and rivers and deserts and things above us. So yeah. And um, then we
1: got Paul's word right in second Corinthians 12, where he tells us exactly the location of where paradise is in the third firmament.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, if you have, and this is where I can't remember if Enoch tells us which firmament the sun and moon are in, Um, I think it says the sun is in the third firmament and the moon's in the second, but I could be wrong. Okay. That would make a lot of sense as to why when we have an eclipse, people think it's the moon that's going underneath the sun, right? That the moon's in between the sun. Um, But ultimately to me, like if I'm imagining something, this is, this is why they think the stars are further away from the sun and the sun's closer to us. If the stars are in the fifth layer, sun's in the third layer, moon's in the second layer. Then that's where we have modern astron- um, astronomy would look with their telescopes, and they would see that differentiation of distance. But they just, of course, extrapolate ridiculous numbers to those to those yeah. differences instead of just understanding the firmament model. And again, like I've always said, <sighs> I'm going to put this up on the screen. I'm going to have to find this meme that I did, but I put this up on the screen. But basically, you can buy in a store a sapphire crystal dome that is a magnifying glass. Okay, this is a common tool that people with bad eyesight can use and just buy on the market as a regular everyday product that exemplifies the creation model. Because as we you and I have studied this so far and we've we've already theorized that this ferment itself is the, the type of material is like a crystalline sapphire type of material. Right. Even the the platform of the throne and different things that we see here, sapphire is always being mentioned. Some some translations we'll call it lapis lusy or lapis luzy or whatever, but um, but that's just the that word is talking about the coloring the the bluish coloring of sapphire. But if you really dig into the descriptions, most of the firmament is always described as a sapphire. So if you have a domed sapphire structure, it creates a magnification effect where whatever is underneath that sapphire dome is magnified to your viewing. So inversely, Ken, if I'm st- if I'm underneath that magnified viewing on the other end of it. Like if you look through the other end of a telescope, things get further away. So if the father's looking down upon us as grasshoppers, you know, and he looks down on the circle of the earth, Isaiah 40, we're magnified to him. He can see the affairs of man. No problem. He created, he created multiple layers of magnifying glasses to look down through. So he could probably see who knows how far down to our shoelaces if he wanted to. <laughs> but yeah. if I'm sitting here on the ground, looking up, everything looks further away. Cause I'm looking through the wrong end of multiple telescope lenses. Does yeah. that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's why everything looks so far away.
1: Yeah. This whole concept really, I mean, Abraham's experience here in this book really makes parallax come to life in my opinion. Yeah. So that's, that's a really cool way of, of describing it, Sean. And, and you know, it being a, like a molten looking glass, you're right. I mean, yeah in order for the inhabitants of the earth to be like grasshoppers, it it does have to magnify in a way that would, you know, look kind of like that to him at his perspective. So thus the firmament layers that's, that's right,
0: buddy. Yeah. Very cool. It just makes perfect sense to me that he created a huge, a huge which is actually what we're seeing Abraham experience, right? Because as we haven't gotten to 20 yet, but uh, it looks like 20 and 21, he gets to look down all the way down to Sheol, down to the abyss and the pits and the abyss, right? So like he's using the concept I just described, you know? And so anyway, let's get to it. Maybe I'll just start reading unless you have any other things about 19 or 18. I
1: was just going to say, I mean, Hollywood does a, a decent job at kind of portraying what you're, what we're discussing here, right? I mean, we've got the clash of the Titans and any type of, um scenario where they've kind of gone to the where the gods reside up above and you can see kind of like the earth and how it's magnified and like just from their perspective right i think that hollywood knows exactly what the father's look able to look down upon and how that works yeah but yeah man we can go to the the next chapter there
0: okay cool man i'll start here in chapter 20 it says in the eternal mighty one said to me abraham abraham and i said here i am and he said look from on high at the stars which are beneath you and count them for me Tell me their number. And I said, When can I? For I am a man. And he said to me, As the number of the stars and their power, so shall I place for your seed the nations and men set apart for me and my lots with Azazel. And I said, Eternal, mighty one, let your servant speak before you. Let your fury not rage against your chosen one. Behold, uh, before you led me up, Azazel insulted me. How then, since he is now not before you, did you establish yourself with them? And he said to me, This is chapter 21 here, and he said to me, Look now beneath your feet at the firmament, and understand the creation that was depicted of old on this expanse, and the creatures which are in it, and the age prepared for it. I looked beneath the firmament at my feet, and I saw the likeness of heaven, and the things that were therein. And I saw there the earth and its fruit, and its moving things, and its things that had souls, and its host of men, and the impiety of their souls and their justification, and the pursuit of their works and the abyss and its torments, and its lower depths, and the perdition in it. And I saw there the sea, and its islands, and its cattle, and its fish, and Leviathan, and his realm, and his bed, and his lairs, and the world which lay upon him, and his motions, and the destruction he causes the world. I saw there the rivers, and their upper reaches, and their circles. I saw there the garden of Eden, and its fruits, and a source of the river flowing from it, and its trees, and their flowering making fruits. And I saw men doing justice in it, their food, and their rest, And I saw there a great crowd of men and women and children, half of them on the right side of the betrayal and half of them on the left side of the betrayal. All right. So guys, we're having to stop here because we're going to, we're going to pick back up in the next episode with chapter 22, but uh, because we're running out of time for this episode, but this is amazing. This is the moment where Abraham is shown the day of the millennial kingdom reign of Yeshua that, that he mentions in John chapter eight, because he's seeing all these other parts of the earth. Plus he sees the garden of Eden. And he sees the people inside of it. And I think that's amazing. Uh, Also, Ken, you probably noticed this verse four, we get a little shout out to Leviathan and all the destruction he causes.
1: Yes, we do. We do. It's, uh, it's interesting because I, I think you and I both agree that um, he definitely has a day of the Lord type of destruction um, that he's been kind of proleptically prophesied to, to, you know, go about doing, but then, he may actually be one of the reasons why the earth kind of moves the way it does when it has quakes and tremors and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is, I mean, if that's the case, think of the magnitude of this beast that is underneath the earth.
0: And that's why as earthquakes would increase, he's getting riled up according to all the other study we did on Leviathan for his basically surfacing, if you will, on the day of the Lord. Um, so this is, <laughs> which, of course, is already being shown to us in movies, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And they talk about this ancient monster that's been dormant for so long. And he's finally waking up, you know, and it's all there, by the way. Um, and so I just think it's fascinating because it talks about his his uh, his realm, his bed, his layers. Now, of course, since we're looking at com, and there's a secondary translation for us to, to compare with. Um, this The additional translation in that moment says that Leviathan has his caves. So this right. could be him moving in, in the realm of where he lives under the earth. Um, he's moving between these large subterranean caves, and that could be causing massive earthquakes. Yeah. So, yeah, which if he's moving under the sea itself and disturbing the seabed itself, then you got tsunamis and tidal waves from massive earthquakes in the middle of the sea. So... It's pretty wild, man.
1: It's it's wild wild because we are talking
0: about. Yeah, man. We're like, it's, it's a mind trip to even try to think about because it's like the, the, the average person would never even consider this as a reality in our modern world. It's like, we're suddenly talking about some sort of bad, bad fantasy fiction book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but ultimately like if we look back at even what Hollywood has shown us in the past 30 years, they're telling the same story about cataclysmic worldwide destruction from this massive thing that lives under the earth now they do it in various fashions but essentially it's the same narrative yeah. and I just it just like uh, we see so much predictive programming and much of entertainment and film and media um, this could very well be another one because throughout the scriptures leviathan is mentioned as something that has a integral component on the day of the lord and was created on day five for a specific purpose and that purpose is fulfilled on the day of the lord if you haven't already seen our, our episode we did on that it's on um parable of the vineyard we did that like a month or two ago and it's what what you need to know about leviathan for, uh, for the end times and uh, i'm going to flash the uh, the thumbnail here on the screen you guys go welcome to check that out on parable of the vineyard channel and that's where ken and i host another show on sunday nights yeah um,
1: leviathan and his his cohort behemoth and um, yeah it's great yeah it's it's interesting man because i mean church that i i grew up in they would kind of read the the scriptures as if they are stories right this is the story of abraham this is the story right it's it seems very fictionalized even in the faith-based community a lot of these things right but i i don't see it that
0: way (laughs) at (laughs) all there's too much contextual application for these terms, especially when you look into their fulfillment um, and what it means. And like, I mean, I'm not going to give away the episode that we did because of its conclusion, but there is no way to disconnect behemoth and Leviathan from the reality of the return of Christ. You cannot contextually, according to if you believe the words and, and try to make sense of the narrative, you cannot disconnect one from the other. You cannot say Leviathan and behemoth are just, Allegorical constructs, and then try to overimpose uh, Leviathan as Satan somehow, yeah. right? As the serpent being referenced in, in Revelation, totally two different concepts, and the scriptures flesh them out thoroughly. So go check out that episode when you have time. Um, is there anything here in uh, the big question, can Though here in nineteen and twenty, that most people probably saw is Abraham gets kind of he gets kind of uh, bold, right? Because he, he hears something he doesn't understand, and he yes. hears the Eternal One telling him that. There, that he has a lot with Azazel. It's here in verse uh, chapter 20, verse 5. And he says, For I'm a man, and he said to me, As the number of the stars and their power, so shall I place for your seed the nations and men set apart from me in my lot with Azazel. The and then this is where Abraham's like, Wait, what'd you just say? <laughs> so he's kind of questioning him, How in the world did you just say you have a lot with Azazel? Azazel is the one who just insulted me or just the one who invade against me. And uh, he's like, How would you possibly establish yourself with them? So before the, before the father answers him, he then goes into showing him this amazing uh, future vision of the world, its destructions and the eternal kingdom. So in my opinion Kim, what I think he's seeing when it says in chapter 21 he's seeing these different things and he's also seeing the Garden of Eden I think and all the men doing justice within it and the great crowd and everything, I think brother, I think he's seeing the millennial reign as the New Jerusalem has already descended on the earth. Because right. the earth is destroyed from Leviathan.
1: Yeah, I agree, man. That's contextually you how I
0: see, see it. that too. Okay, I, I just that's the way it reads to me with my understanding of the New Jerusalem and uh, during the millennial reign. So yeah,
1: I don't see him looking back. Yeah. So yeah.
0: No. So to me, this is just for, personally for me because you know, like, con- can't even context right. One of my uh, actual branches on the context tree is the Garden, the Garden of Eden. And then, of course, the base of my context tree is New Jerusalem. And I, I try to help people understand how the Garden of Eden is the New Jerusalem when we see it in the future. It's the same thing. So here, he's seeing the New Jerusalem, but he's just calling it the Garden of Eden.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's of this.
0: He wouldn't even have had the word Jerusalem in his mind yet. Yeah. In my opinion.
1: No, I I agree. And, I mean... The word paradise, paradisos, in the Greek, I think it comes from uh, ancient Persia. That that word itself it just means an enclosed garden, really. Yeah. Confed about garden, so it's yeah, it's very fascinating, brother. Sean, I yeah. was wondering, go ahead. You, um, did you think that um, chapter twenty, verse three, where it says, where he's telling them to look on high at the stars which are beneath you, and count them for me and tell me their number? Is this the event of Genesis 15-5, in your opinion?
0: Yeah, this, this, in my opinion, absolutely. This is the moment where, in this vision that's happening among the portions of the victims after the sacrifice, he's taken because he falls asleep, and this is when most visions happen, right? Which is why he's, he can see the Eternal One and be up there in the seventh firmament and not be destroyed. His physical body is not being killed because he's been shown a vision in his sleep of these things. And therefore, this is the moment where so the Father took him and showed him the stars.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at the um, Genesis 15.5 here on Bible Hub, just pulling it up because it, it makes it sound like he's on the earth looking up at the sky where he says, look now toward or up at heaven and count the stars. Whereas in this in this passage here, he's he's saying, look on high at the stars which are beneath you, right? So he's looking down at the fifth firmament from this perspective, if this, if this is the case. So I'm just looking at the Hebrew here. Um, Hashemai toward the heaven. Strong's eight zero six four Shemaim so I mean it, it doesn't necessarily mean look up at the heavens yeah just look look at that like at the heavens and from his perspective he is he's looking down at the heavens so
0: well, was, yeah again when we understand what the word heaven means right that it's a it's a structure so I agree with you um and you know he says he took him outside and said now look toward the heavens and count the stars so this to me, like I said, it, it would be interesting looking the Greek because where was he ever inside? You took him outside, but where was he ever inside?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my my main contention is just with the word. Some of the translations say look up at the stars or look, you know, oh, really? look at the heavens, but that word is actually not in there. I don't see it. Right. Just towards Or like gaze upon the heavens, not directionally in terms of like being on the earth, like it can be it can be the firmament above looking down as well. So
0: yeah, I'm seeing that too. Um just even though even the traditional King James says look now toward the heaven. So
1: yeah, interesting, man. Very interesting. So we're gonna find out next episode, you know. Abraham's question to the father about Azazel, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which we all want to know.
0: Yeah. How in the world did you say, why did you say that? What, what, how, how could you possibly say that? You know, so guys, if you don't have a knee jerk moment, just bear with us. We'll get to it next episode because Abraham asked the same question I would have asked, right? If I'd have heard that statement, that wouldn't just slip by me. That would have been something. To be like, whoa, 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 can we back up for a second? What did you just say? You know, and I would have been, I would have been the same guy. Now, it doesn't make to me. This is perfect with Genesis eighteen, right? Where we see in the same regard, uh, Abraham has that boldness there as well to bargain for some of the inhabitants of the city of Sodom, including his nephew Lot. That's right. And so it's like he's showing that same boldness here. He's like, whoa, just pardon me while I speak with you for minutes. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand what you just said. And so he gets to see this vision to explain what the father said. We've only read part of that vision and we've run out of time for this episode. We're going to pick up the rest of what Abraham sees in 22, 23 and beyond in our next episode of honor of Kings. So please come back and see us, put any comments and questions you may have down below the video, like share and subscribe. If you've never seen this before and you yet you you're edified by it, um, our goal here is to test these apocryphal books against the American Canon of sixty six to see if they line up thematically and theologically. Um, and so far, I'm I'm kind of impressed with apocalypse of Sir Abraham.
1: Yeah, I think it's amazing. It definitely definitely you know fills in a little bit of the gaps in the scriptures. Yeah, gives us one more on, you know this enclosed earth system that the Father created. So
0: yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and we're going to keep digging into it next week. So as always. Please, Ken, uh, any concluding remarks before we take off?
1: No, brother, just uh, you know, good conversation as always. I love sharpening. That's what we're here to do. And we just ask that you uh, brothers and sisters out there that may be watching to do the same thing. Just don't take our word for it. Read these books, see if they line up with the scriptures and prayerfully consider what we're discussing. And uh, go check out my channel, Hang On His as- yeah, Word.
0: Yeah, go, go um, to Mark. Hang On His as- Word.
1: I'm actually working currently on a video called The Rise of Leviathan, and it's got all the different things that we've already discussed. so I'm gonna put it kind of compacted into a neat video with some visuals so that you guys can better understand kind of what Sean and I have have come across with this Leviathan and behemoth on the day of the Lord and the
0: implications involved with that. so it's it's truly really fascinating. I look forward to that video, brother. okay, guys um, this uh, this has been um, a great episode Ken, I've been enjoying digging this book with you. And uh, we just want to invite everybody back here next week as we continue to test the apocalypse of Abraham here on Honor of Kings. Thanks for joining us.